Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm one of your regular hosts, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by the fantastic Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Can't wait to talk about Inception. How are you? Yeah, it's going to be. I'm good, mate. It's going to be a dream. It's going to be an absolute dream. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. We are. We're talking about Inception. Uh, Christopher Nolan's 2010 Inception writer and director. Um, Starring Leo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, uh, Ken uh, Watanabe, uh, Dilip Rao, Cillian Murphy, and Marion Cotillard. So it's, it's got a great cast, this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, I'm, I'm, it's one of those films I'm going to quickly say is I'm going to quickly do a plot summary as well in a sec, where I actually thought the plot was a lot more complicated than this <laughs> when yeah. I first saw it. But basically, Cobb, played by Leo DiCaprio, is a dream thief. He uh, he, he can't go home because of a, a crime or something that's happened in the past. However, he's given an opportunity to redeem himself and be cleared. Uh, but instead of stealing information, which he is what he and his team or colleagues have done in the past, he has to plant an idea. And this is incredibly difficult, and it's called Inception. And that's about it. This film is basically a heist film. Mm-hmm. And I'd I'd forgotten sort of like that's really what it is, um, but yeah. So came out in two thousand ten. What what are your or what were your first reactions into this film? What's your first thoughts on this film on, on Inception? Well, I was already a fan of Nolan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I was and I still am a huge fan of the Prestige. Um, obviously, Dark Knight came out and. I remember leaving the theaters understanding this had changed superhero movies forever. I still think it has, and nothing has remotely compared to it. Um, And then Inception was coming out. Um, I think that I was, first of all, I was thrilled at the idea that a non-franchise film got this kind of attention um, and could do this kind of box office because this did like, you know, 900 million almost um, to this day. I think like that, that was absolutely amazing. You know, I mean, in this endless sequels and franchises and reboots and all of this nonsense, here was a new work um, that did that kind of uh, bank. And that work was intelligent. And I feel so alienated from you know, so much of uh, popular culture, which, you know, seems to be more meme based than than based on any kind of uh, having something to say. Um, and, you know, Nolan is a master at sort of doing um, something that merges the blockbuster and the sort of action spectacle with intelligence. So, mm. you know, with all that said, I went in and my first reaction was I liked it. 
but that sort of, and I think it's a brilliant idea, that dream heist plot was paramount for me. And I thought, you know, like I get some of these deeper themes and, and some of these other things, but I was sort of, I liked it, but I wasn't as impressed. It didn't blow me away. And now it blows me away. How was your, what was your first impression and, and how has it changed? <clears throat> I, I think we, I think we're going to meet a crossroads on this uh-huh. one because <laughs> I, I went in and it's one of those, again, like I, I became a Nolan fan through uh, Batman Begins. I uh, hadn't really sort of watched anything, but after that I went and watched uh, uh, Memento and then obviously sort of the prestige. And then after that <clears throat> I've, I've sort of watched pretty much all of his films um up to date now, really. And mm-hmm. I, I always find his films fascinating. I always do think, as you say, he sort of manages to sort of like <clears throat> bring something really interesting to, um, you know, like you say, the, 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 for, for purposes, this is a heist film, but it's got amazing spectacle and there's actually something at its core that's worth discussing and worth, and worth saying. Um, and I think that runs through pretty much all of his films. But yeah, I came out, like you said, I came out of the cinema blown away. Like oh my god I can't believe they've thought to do that and like there's there's you know so many scenes where I was like oh my god that's that's incredible that's really you know that's blowing my mind I've got to think about that I've got to go back and think about this and there's some concepts about you know we'll get into it like how the subconscious like time moves differently there um, and so like fifty years can be held in a couple of hours and all this other stuff and I was like oh this is this is really cool and then I didn't go back to it for a while and then since I've watched it probably once since. And then, for, and then, and then this time, and then watch it this time. I was a bit like, hmm. They seem like really good ideas, and I think the polish had enough even the second time <laughs> I watched it. Like they, they seem like really good ideas, right? But it's it, it never seems wholly consistent, and I think that's like I, I still enjoy it. Like this film is an absolute roller coaster ride, um, and I won't take anything away from his visuals. Like Christopher Nolan yeah. knows how to shoot a film. But there are certain moments when you're. I was a bit like, he doesn't want to explain that, does he? Okay, we'll roll on from that. We'll move on. Um, you know, he, he's got a theme that he wants to stick to, and there's other bits that you're probably not supposed to worry about a great deal. But um, it's still think, a really, really good film. But I don't. I can't say that I still think it's a masterpiece like some people do. Well, you're absolutely right, and and when you think about it, the world in which this takes place and that whole dream heist narrative, while a cool idea, is utterly absurd and preposterous. Uh, first of all, you have to believe in this technology that allows people to enter another person's dream and also share dreams, and also you have to believe that these dreams are stable things. I don't know about you, but when I dream, they're not necessarily stable. I'll forget what I was doing, and I'll turn around and somebody is transformed into somebody else, you know? Um, And usually in film, that's not the case. Usually in fiction, that's not the case, which is, you know, I mean, that's true of like Sandman and comics, for example. It's, It's not just Inception, but you have to believe in the stability of that dream for any of this to make sense, because then you have this absurd idea that your brain, like, you know, like your biological brain speeds up when you're dreaming. Like, I know that in yeah. dreams you can sort of like fall asleep and you're only, you know, from the clock, you only slept for five minutes, but it seems like it was hours. Okay. That's weird. But your brain wasn't processing as processing at a super fast speed. Right. I mean, that's no. a psychological no. thing. 
So all of that is, is, is sort of silly business. Although uh, the dream heist idea is evocative and cool, right? It is. I, and that's, I, I love this, this idea. And <clears throat> I, I like the fact they don't really bother at trying to explain the technology. It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, we've got it, move on. And I'm quite comfortable with that. I mean, that's sort of just a sci-fi trope of like, we have this technology that allows us to do this. Um, the, the, it, I like the fact they try and give it some semblance of organization. So they're like, okay, well, when we go, we've got to have an architect who can organize and build that dream. Because I think that the notion that this isn't just a dream, we're actually using that dreamscape Mm-hmm. almost as a matrix to fool somebody into believing they're awake so we can do this and that and whatever. <clears throat> I find that quite interesting at that level. So when you're going into someone's, let's call it level one, you know, um, and that's your, your first dream, the, 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 the question I started to get was about this technology in particular is when they're like, right, we can go down another level because someone's been injured here, but we've got to go down another level because they'll be all right there. Well, we can do this and do that in that next level of dream. And they pull out the flaming suitcase again, like, well, we've got the technology. And I'm like, well, in the, in the real world that that physically exists and is doing something physical to you to induce that dream. Right. But in the dreamscape, like, you obviously have to have such a belief in that technology that it actually has an impact on you in a in a dream. Mm-hmm. And it was that point I was like, "Oh, okay, this is this is the sort of uh, the gimme you're gonna, you know, this is the thing we've got to give this film. Like, I'm gonna accept that yes, they can do this and they can go through the different levels all the way through to your subconscious, and they can pull out this suitcase, this silver suitcase at any point, and it's it, it's a, it's a bit of a sort of a you know, um, uh, get out. Oh, we can go to the next level, and that's it. it. It it feels a little silly, but it's one of those I'm happy to roll past for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I I think you're absolutely right that one of the silliest ideas is the idea that you know you have to use the suitcase with in the next level because <laughs> you know you think about that. You know, the whole point is that they don't know that they're you know, going another level deeper. Um, well, if they don't know and they're the one doing the dreaming, then how does this technology have that kind of power, even if you believe in it? Mm. Um, but again, none of this really makes sense because that dream has to be so stable, you know, that multiple people can inhabit it and just, you know, walk around like they're in a video game or something. Yeah, I mean, none of this really makes a lot of sense, but I will say this, it's, you know, it's basically the ground rules, right? It's like when you go into mm. a superhero movie, okay, superheroes exist, guys can fly and bullets bounce off them. Okay, you have to accept that. And traditionally, traditionally, um, narratives are supposed to give you basically upfront what you have to accept. And then you're not supposed to introduce like halfway through like, oh, by the way, there's magic in this universe. And, you know, I have a magic <laughs> wand that will save the day. You know, you're not supposed to do that. And I think this movie does a pretty good job and better than most uh, blockbusters of of doing that. You do sort of find out about Limbo and about this like descending, you know, multiple time thing uh, going on, uh, you know, later on. But it sort of flows from this original idea. And so you know, the traditional suspension of disbelief applies and I can roll with it because it's what it allows you to do is sort of fun and evocative. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think, and that's Nolan's um, true. One of his true skills 
is you're right that he does. He sets up the ground rules. He sets up like you know um, the MacGuffin, and then he'll stick to it. Like there's mm. nothing. There is no way they don't in, you know halfway through introduce a new technology or a. Oh, it, luckily I had this in my back pocket. So yeah, there is no get out in that sense. But that's what I'm saying, and that's I think why I'm so willing to roll past it because I'm like okay, you've sort of set this up early. I mean they spend the time introducing it by introducing Ellen Page as an architect. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they introduce that notion of, you know, and they actually go into a dream world and you see the, the, her ability to build a world and, you know, do all the bits and pieces. And obviously she builds a bridge. And it, I love the way it, sort of, it raises up and it builds in front of them as they do things. And it's the moment where the sort of the, the path goes at 90 degrees and then they walk up it and it looks cool. And it's, it, it's great at setting up like the capabilities and the flaws, because they say, like, well, you know, what does he say? Don't do something specifically from your memory, because mm-hmm. if, if you do these sort of things, you then become aware. Or the subconscious, these, like you say, basically, uh, the, um, what do they call them in computers? These sort of, like, just the computer-generated players oh, in your mind. NPCs, right? That's it, yeah, it, those sorts of things. Non-play, that's what, non-playable characters. Um will attack you. And that's so, you know, so you've got that thing in there, but yeah, you can't just dream up anything because that actually puts us at risk. So you've got to do it within these, within this box. Well, I think, I think there's a difference there though, because the, the idea is that as the person doing the dreaming becomes suspicious that they're dreaming, um, people, the, the sort of, they call them projections, the NPCs Mm. that sort of just populate this uh, subconscious world will sort of like start glaring and turn on the person who is, you know, the intruder uh, who doesn't mm. belong there. But but Cobb actually says to Ariadne, which, by the way, terrible name, right? So on <laughs> yeah. point. Um, but Cobb actually says to her, uh, the reason you don't want to use stuff from the real world is because you can forget that you're dreaming. So mm. that's, that's setting <clears throat> up the, you know, the whole revelation that, he and his wife spent like 50 years, you know, in uh, this dream world. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's what I'm saying. So it's well laid out that there are bits of there's, there's information dropped that mm-hmm. you have to come back to. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those. That, so when you do get that, the, the, the confession and the revelation at the end, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's all there. It works. Mm-hmm. Do you know I mean within the, Within the logic of the movie, it, it works, and you know, yeah, it, it may strain at the seams mm-hmm. in some ways, but um, it, it pretty much holds together. I'd say. Yeah, but I, I mean, I agree with all of that, and I and I think that all of that stuff. I, I saw the ways in which it was, you know, flawed the first time through, and I was sort of like, okay, mm. you know, Nolan is known for making these kind of puzzle box plots, right? where everything is sort of set up and then there's this kind of like twist and solution. It all makes sense within the ground rules, right? I mean, Memento is like that. Um, Mm. But, you know, the problem Nolan sometimes has, besides that these are, to some degree, Hollywood puzzle box plots. I mean, there's always some kind of like hole in them. But the problem that he often has is that he doesn't have an emotional center to his movies um Mm. i think this is very true of batman begins batman begins Mm. is incredibly well put together i wrote a book about it but i but i don't watch it and 
fall in love or really feel emotionally gripped. I sort of watch it and I sort of cerebrally think, um, oh, I see why you did that. That was smart. Um, And I think a lot of Nolan's stuff is like that. And over time, what has changed in me is that the Dream Heist plot, while evocative and cool, is less interesting to me. All of the spectacle Mm. of like Paris turning, you know, Doctor Strange obviously ripped that off and had nothing else in that movie that was remotely interesting. But, you know, the whole idea of like Paris turning on itself and all of these just awesome spectacles of like a fight in zero gravity, which they did with real physical effects. Like, Mm. this is all really amazing the first time through. Um, Now, I, I have almost forgotten between viewings all those elements. And what I love about this movie and what makes this movie so meaningful to me is that it has an emotional core and that the story of Cobb and Maul is so profoundly affecting to me. Um, I cry every time I watch this movie. And I think, you know, uh, Cotillard totally seals the show as Maul. Um, and, yes. and so all of this stuff that like people don't remark on about Inception, they like the action, they like the spectacle, you know, to me is like, okay, that's there, that's good. It's got these problems that we've already talked about. Um, it's another sort of uh, puzzle box plot. But this one, unlike most other Nolan films, has this just emotional through line that knocks me out every time. It's interesting that because I think that was one of the things that sort of stood out. There was what halfway through watching it this time, it just popped to my head, and I was like, "There's an element of this. There's actually a ghost story." Mm-hmm. It fit, you know, like Nolan has sort of he's got you say he's got that big spectacle sci-fi film in there, and and I, I there were certain things I will comment in a bit that I do really enjoy about that. Um, but yeah, it seemed to me there was there was something about this that just felt like. Um, almost like a, a gothic uh, uh, ghost story. This idea of of you know um, Mal being there, and she is she exists solely in this dream world because of Cobb, and she I mean she you know she manifests as his guilt uh, for what happens, uh, what has happened. Um, and I love the fact that there's, there's um the deeper they go, the more. Um, like she, she has more con- uh, control, but like more abilities and more, you know, more sort of like she's able to gain more control and sort of interact with them more. And so, but also the things like Cobb can't know certain things because everything he knows, she knows. Um, and it did, it, 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 you know, even before that sort of the revelation, you know, spoilers we're going to get to um, about why why she's there and what she's doing there. Is you know before that, I felt like this she is she's just there with some spectre she seems to just hang over everything and I really liked it this time I was like wow actually like before that plot element never really struck me until the end mm-hmm. but but this time I think maybe because I do know it even like from probably the sort of the second act and sort of almost it sort of I felt like it, she just sort of hangs over the plot like this sort of spectre and it was really interesting to me that like oh yeah she she's just in. Like I say, Marianne Coulthard is not isn't in it all the time, but like the threat of that is there, um, and I kind of like that. Yeah, I agree. I haven't thought about it as a ghost story, but of course, you're a hundred percent correct. Um, you know, literally, she is a projection, and she's a projection within this dream world of his guilt and his uh, unconscious. 
And there is this way in which the film is a haunted film. Uh, and, I, and I'm, you know, I, I'm less impressed with the spectacle uh, these days mm. than I am with those haunting aspects. Um, and and I did in my notes, I had the word haunting in, and I didn't even think about the ghost thing. Um, but the sense of regret, the sense of loss, the sense of... Um, knowing you were responsible. Um, it's, yeah, well, that's one of the things I have to say, is, like, it didn't really strike me before, I think, because it's been a while since I watched it, and it came as a bit of a um, a gut punch that, you know, you, you obviously... It, it, there are certain things that I think that are glaring. Um, you know, if you've watched enough films or you've read enough stories, it, you know, you can go, ah, ah, that's coming. And so I knew there was a revelation coming, about this, especially when he's always said, "Oh, I've done Inception before. Mm-hmm. I know it, it can work." So that it's, it's that Chekhov's gun, isn't it? Like, well, if you're telling me it's worked before, then that's coming back to this plot. So I knew it was going to come back in some way, <clears throat> and part of me couldn't fit because you see, you see an old Ken uh, Watanabe at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. So part of me was wondering, like, did they do it on him? And I was, so I was, I was trying to sort of work my way around it and all this other stuff. <clears throat> so when they re- when it's revealed that he did it on her. And it's sort of like he has to sort of confess it. Um, it is. It, it comes as a bit of a gut punch. It makes you sort of question Cobb and you know, obviously what what he's you know capable of doing and um, and that sort of thing. It's it's yeah. It's sort of, it tilts the film for me a little bit in a certain direction. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I'm certainly very affected by by all of that. Um, I think that the the revelation. You're right. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of set up, and, and and it sort of like rolls out in pieces. Um, you know, Maul sort of stars in the. In, there's this sort of like first action scene, like Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises have. Um, you know, where Maul is just the femme fatale, and then you find out, oh, she mm. was his wife. Then you find out she was dead. Uh, then you find out uh, he's wanted for her murder. Um, and then Ariadne goes into the dream and, you know, and you see this trashed hotel room. Uh, you have these repeated sort of images of of her in that dress, her with that window. Um, mm. You have the, uh, you know, this sort of like mantra, which I don't know why I find so affecting. You know, you were waiting for a train. Mm. You know, a train that will take you far away. Um, you know, you don't know where it's going. Um, this idea that you have to begin this any journey not knowing. I mean, that's true of relationships, right? I mean, that's true of any project. Mm. You don't know where it's headed. Uh, there is this kind of leap of faith. Um, and ultimately, you find out that the way they left uh, their 50 years in uh, limbo, you know, in accelerated time was uh, laying their heads on a train track as the train mm. came and, and crushed them, um, you know, which is terrible, but at the same time, so painfully beautiful. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting, especially when they get to that moment in the story where they do explain that they, they spent, you know, turned out to a lifetime together in this, in this world, building it and sort of, you know, um, expanding it and, 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 you know, harkening back into their own, uh, memories and subconscious to build buildings like you know the, the house from her childhood and uh, where he grew up and then all this other stuff 
And I find that that's, you know, this thing of this, uh, this idea of, especially when they say it's 50 years of just being there and, and, and growing old together. And then that realization, you know, that he has of, you know, actually this, this isn't good for us. Like we've been here long enough. Like we've got to move out. We've got to get back. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for it, you know, is obviously get back to our children. Um, and, and it's sort of, yeah. So, well, I mean, it's one of those, sort of, you know, does the, does the end justify the means of, of, of what he did? Well, he had to do it. Right. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, it, it's very beautiful when you, when you find out, you know, how he sort of incepted her that they, you know, they have this, this beautiful house that was the house Maul grew up in is kind of surrounded by this, you know, very modernist moat. I mm. love the landscape of the city. Um, and, you know, he goes in and finds in a dollhouse, you know, it's so evocative. There's a safe. And in that safe, she kept her top, her totem that let her know that she was in a dream or not. And, um, and just leaves it out. Um, you know, the idea is, oh, I think he, he spins it and just kind of leaves it there. Um, yeah. And the idea is that this sort of implants, lets Maul come to her own conclusion that this is not reality and mm. we should go back. But you don't know where this idea is going to lead. So when the, in the, just to let viewers know, in the you know real world when they get back she is convinced that she, this is not reality either um and you yeah, know he, he, yeah he calls it a disease doesn't he he sort of says it it's, it sort of infects it spreads like you that's the problem with an idea that and i love that i love that notion that he was like once an idea the problem with an inception is once that idea has been planted as you said like you don't know how it's going to grow um, right. And, I, and yeah, I think that's very true in life. Um, mm. But you have this haunting sequence as, you know, I mean, she says she's with her children and she says, you know, I'm their mother. Don't you think I can tell the difference? She thinks mm. they're not real. Right. She's been away from them for 50 years and they have woken up in young bodies. Um, of course, this doesn't feel weird, real. And, you know, the, the very haunting scene as he f- you know, finds in the hotel on their anniversary, no less, mm. sees her an, across the street. So he can't intervene and she's done everything. She's, you know, sent a letter to her lawyer. It's a little, you know, just sort of setting up everything, sent a letter to her lawyer saying he threatened to kill her, um, you know, basically forcing him to jump with her. Uh, you know, the horror of this also of dealing with mental illness, right? Like looking across mm. the way and, and seeing like, I cannot convince you this absurd thing that you believe isn't true. And I can see that you are going to destroy yourself with this. And I, and I am powerless. Well, I suppose it's, it's that thing again. It's like she, she, you know, he did this thing. He, he incepted this idea into her, into her dream consciousness of, you know, this isn't this is this is a non-reality, and that's what you know uh, permeated into her waking state, which has caused this. So he did that with the best intentions, mm-hmm. and then it flips on its head, and she's obviously set him up. You know, she to sent this letter to the lawyer and and, and trashed the room and did all these things, and she thinks again in a similar in a similar way, I'm doing this with the best of intentions. I'm doing this to not just save myself, but to save you. 
Like she's convinced that this isn't real. So she's not just doing this for herself. She's doing it. Like you say, she feels like, again, that the, 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 the means justify the end. Like, yeah, look, look, I've made this. Mm-hmm. You can't stay here anymore to save you. And that's really beautiful because they are, you know, they are, they keep doing these things to, or these things have happened to save the other person as well. And obviously it ends in, in tragedy. Well, and, and I think about this idea of inception, um, you know, first of all, I'm fascinated, I'm fascinated by unintended consequences. And I think that mm. we tend to be way too certain of what the consequences of our actions are going to be, or even of global policy, you know, even policies that, you know, I would agree with are, might have blowback, might have unintended consequences. You think this might like inspire positive change in the world, but it can also inspire the jerks to rise up. Um, You know, things you can't really control what these consequences are. I think that the first time I saw this film, I saw Inception, the idea of Inception, more like a metaphor for filmmaking because Nolan likes to do that, right? I mean, like the prestige Mm. is in some sense a metaphor for filmmaking, right? For magic and making people believe they want to believe you can do a jump cut and, you know, give them yeah. crappy special effects and they'll, they'll believe their minds literally see what they want to see. Um, but I, so I saw this as kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, here's this idea that you can't uh, control the consequences of an idea. Um, and the movie inception itself started as an idea in Nolan. It was going to be a much smaller budget movie, um, you know, after memento and after dark Knight, he was like, I can't get this idea out of my head. And, now I can do it. It's about dreams. So I can do it as a hundred million idea. But now I think of inception as a very literal thing. So I want to ask you, have you ever incepted anybody? <laughs> um, you mean like dropped an idea and it sort of grown? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's very possible. Um, you know, I like to accept the idea of certain people to go away and leave me alone. <laughs> uh, usually, it works. Um, <laughs> um, but I don't know. Very possibly. I mean, it, well, actually, um, there have been. Um, you know, I, I, I have spoken to people that you know I've, they've listened to the podcast or they've spoken online. They said, "Oh, yeah, actually, because of that, I've gone off and done this." So, you know, it, it may not be me intentionally incepting an idea. I haven't placed something in someone's head, I suppose, but they come out of conversations. I don't know. It's an interesting one. To, to, in, I mean, you know, do you mean intentional inception of trying to place an idea in someone's head? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I know that sounds Machiavellian and terrible, but it seems to me that we do this and I have done this and been the subject of this. Uh, I remember, Mm. you know, think about how many things we say to children, right? Like we say, you're going to be a great artist one day, right? They're drawing stick figures, right? And, 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 you know, an aunt or somebody or a parent will say, you're going to be a great artist one day. And that kid thinks, how the hell do they know that? Right. But they're adults Mm. and they have access to some kind of like magic world where they can just see this talent in me and see where this is going 30 years later. Um, and you just kind of believe that, even though this might have been just a passing comment, right? Um, but it's but it's said as a prediction. Um, 
you know, and it, and it, those predictions can sometimes really be haunting. Um, I remember um, my whole family is is overweight, and my grandmother would tell me as I was, I'm like, I look like I'm adopted in photographs, right? Because I'm like a skinny, <laughs> a skinny dude. And and my uh, my grandmother said, you know, um, don't think you're superior because you're skinny now, but you know, when you're old, your brother's going to be skinny and you're going to be fat. And it's like, why would you say this? This is so insane. But it helped lead yeah. to an eating Gra- disorder. Gra- grandparents. Yeah. Grandparents are such loving figures, <laughs> aren't they? I mean, I, I, I have, uh, you know, I'm not going to drop my grandparents. I might do. But uh, no, my, nan, my nan used to say to me, and this was when I was a teenager. So, you know, like I said, that, that time in life when you are sort of, struggling with certain things like this would say to me you'd be you'd be really good looking if you were three stone lighter and you're just like, yeah well that's uh that's direct thanks nan <laughs> right and then it kind of it kind of haunts you mm. you know you could hear that I, 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 you think what did they what yeah. do they see what do they know because we can't see ourselves right it is fascinating because this um i i work um you know my day job is, is, is a project manager uh, I've worked for multiple companies, and one of the things that is obviously key is stakeholder management. Is you know satisfying your key stakeholder, but then bringing everybody else on on the journey of making you know the change journey as they call it, and all that sort of stuff. And one of the key things, you know, having said that, of what, having what you've said actually jumped to my mind is one of the ones we 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 fall back on is if a stakeholder or someone isn't on board, but you want them on board is. You sort of shift their thinking by making, but making them think it was their idea. Right, right. <laughs> so you, 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 you know, you'll do certain things, and that that idea you say about Machiavellian is you'll think, okay, so where do I know I can speak to them? They don't want to talk in a formal meeting, so you know, what? I'll bump into them in the kitchen, or I'll bump into them in, you know, some sort of communal area or whatever, and I'll have an off off the beat conversation, or I know I can make sure they see certain information and data. And then they'll come back to me and go, oh, I've had this idea. And you go, really? Brilliant. I'm glad you're on board. Um, and, you know, I know people that are very, very good at that. And, you know, mm-hmm. to, to worrying degrees, I suppose. But like you say, and that's what it is inception, isn't it? It's that idea of saying, well, look, they're not on board now. They're not going to do what I need them to do. So I need to put these things in place right. <laughs> to, make sh- to make sure that actually they are on board and are doing what I tell them to do. So... It, yeah, it, do, it, it does happen on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and you're talking about inception as like a corporate policy, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but then what happens when they they are on board as a stakeholder, they, they get invested, and maybe that works out, and you know, yeah, all of that benefit, that's because of me, jerk, you know. Mm. Or yeah. it doesn't work out, and you think, oh, wow. I, you know, led them to do this for my own benefit or, you know, to get a bonus or something. And, you know, and now they're bankrupt uh, or, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the notion of ideas is, is I find interesting anyway. You know, um, in, in recent history and, you know, in, in particularly in, in your country, your, your home state or your home nation of, of the U.S., there's been a number of conspiracies. Um, and you know you've got like QAnon and and PizzaGate and all this other stuff. Yeah. Like people take, like you know, as fact. You know, there's people, sure. you know, that will that will repeat it as fact. And you're sort of like, there's no evidence of this. There's no, 
you know, and that's the, the problem with the conspiracy is that no evidence is evidence, isn't it? That's the, that's the big problem. You can never disprove a conspiracy because lack of evidence becomes evidence. But people, but that's an idea. Someone's put that in someone's head at some point and said, well, that's, that's interesting about this and this. And then it's just grown and become this full on, you know, a full web of, of conspiracy. And it's, where the hell does, does that sort of thing start and grow? And, you know, people will take it as fact. Flat earthers are another one. Yeah. Where, I'm, I'm, you know, you think there's hundreds of years of, of, of investigation and science that shows that the, world, the, you know, the earth is round and in space and rotates around the sun. And people are like, no, no, don't <laughs> believe it. I can't believe it because I've done my own research. And you're like, oh, where has that idea come from that we've taken that step 500 year step backwards? It's um, well, it's, it's, it's mind boggling yeah. and it, and it's disgusting to see. And, you know, obviously we sort of live in a post fact society. I mean, I, I will say that, this idea of just kind of like repeating the lie often enough is is different from Inception because in, in the Inception, it's supposed to be their idea, right? But mm. we do see exactly as you say, I mean, people believing this nonsense and I often hear like, well, I'm not a scientist. I don't know, you know, or I don't believe that they really know what they're talking about anyway. I mean, you saw this in like, Brexit, you see it over here, mm. this attack on the very concept of expertise, you know, and it's like, well, because those engineers have been wrong before, uh, they must be, you know, I just can't trust them ever again. You know, these tax mm. experts, they've been wrong before, I can never trust them again. You know, so Joe down the street, who says that they're in league with lizard people from outer space, I don't know, <laughs> maybe that's as legit as the tax expert. Yeah, I suppose that's it, isn't it? It's that, it's that like you say, the, the idea doesn't have to be supported by truth anymore. It can just be supported by, a, you know, almost like a gut feeling and because Jeff down the pub has told me it's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to say that I have I have done Inception before, um, you know, like you said, you know, with sort of like the sneaky way of doing it, you know, in the... Uh, uh, you know, around the uh, refrigerator instead of the boardroom or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like somebody comes to you and, they, and they've been assigned a project and, and you don't like them. You know, they're a dick. And you say, uh, you know, well, uh, just remember that, um, that uh, you know, there'll be another chance if, uh, if it doesn't work out. And I'm proud of you, you know, and if it doesn't work out, you know, we can always try again. And they were like, well, I'm going to be successful. <laughs> you know, what are you saying? Yeah. And it's the fact that you're supporting them and you're saying something that expects them to fail that sort of like gets it into their head. Oh, I might fail. Um, I had a friend who sort of, you know, is not my friend anymore, but he uh, he could be very terrible and, and, and mean in an odd way. And he had been mean to me. And he was going to Europe for the second time and he had just been very mean to me and I knew exactly what I was doing. And I sat there at a bar with him and I said, um, you know, it's so awesome that you're going to Europe again because we had been in Europe together the first time that he went as part of a study abroad program. And I said, it's so great that you've got this opportunity to go there again. Uh, you know, of course, 
the second time is never as good as the first. And, and I could tell you <laughs> from experience, you know, you know, it can't compare. So it's really easy to, to look at everything in the negative way. But, you know, it's still good and you'll learn from it. And, you know, you're going to have an awesome time. And I can't tell you how much I support you in this. And good for you. And I knew that I was dooming him. <laughs> I knew absolutely <laughs> what I was doing. I was getting revenge. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 I, suppose it, I suppose it is. It's one of those things of, of placing that, I suppose, elements of doubt or, or confidence in somebody's his mind. And that's, like I say, letting it grow, um, you know, is... I, I like the, I love the fact you did that. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, but you know, going back to what you said about children is is another good one where you sort of say, you know that laying of confidence of saying, you know, that's fantastic. Well, well done. Or that's a really, you know, you like you say, oh, you're really good at that. Go and you know, why don't you go and try this or something? And then like you say, place it in their mind that actually, yeah, that's something I want to do and and go and <clears throat> is is interesting. I mean, that's sort of I suppose what teachers and and you know those sort of mentor figures are supposed to do, isn't it? Is put those inceptions in in children's minds to let them grow and and uh, you know i think in many cases now it's it's almost the opposite isn't it i suppose for many in the education system it's like yeah the, well no you, you are good at that but let's be honest you're going to get stuck in the corporate the corporate you know rat race anyway so i wouldn't worry about it so well, that's the the expectation i i don't tell my students that i mean you know i and i did think about <laughs> my experience as, as a teacher and as a college student um because, you know, one of the things that you do, especially like in the humanities, you know, let's say you're teaching creative writing, you know, you tell them, uh, yeah, you know, this story has problems, but, you know, here's what I liked. And, you know, you're the one who has to be satisfied here and, you know, keep going with this. Well, is that really good advice? Right. Because as you say, they're probably <laughs> going to wind up in the corporate world or, you know, in uh, foreign languages, um, you know, I teach French and I have inspired many students to become French majors. Mm. Is that really going to help them down the line? I mean, it will enrich their life. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely a great salesman, you know, how this will change your life in a million unexpected ways. And, you know, you know, what a cool department you'll hang out with all these cool people. You'll have these cool conversations and a whole world of uh, Francophone films and culture will be open to you. On the other hand, maybe you should go into engineering. Um, <laughs> so maybe that the other thing is in this movie, the, the whole idea of in the heist part of the film of uh, giving up your empire um, is based on the idea of what your dad's expectations are. And even at the top level, there's that sort of toast um, where they toast to um, the dead father and this may rest in peace. Well, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to say, may he rest in peace? Does that mean this is my father and he's a titanic figure and I must follow in his footsteps? May he rest in peace, the great man. Or does it mean he's dead? May he rest in peace. I don't owe him anything anymore. And it seems to me that the dynamic with, with Cillian Murphy is very similar to the dynamic as a student where you want to please a teacher and in every like literature class, you kind of have to figure out like, does this teacher just want just want me to regurgitate what they think, or do they want me to fight with mm. them smartly? You know, you know you've just 
that's a, I mean, that's a really good point actually because they do they you know on the on the plane when they first when they're chasing down Cillian Murphy that that moment they do they make a toast obviously to to his dad and he says rest in peace and the thing we should say is the inception that the thought the that they want to place in his mind is exactly that isn't it is because it's a, a competing energy firm or, or something on those lines the idea they want to do is go off in a different direction like don't follow in your father's footsteps actually try and be your, your own man and do something different um mainly so they can then to so the com- competition can take over the, the market <laughs> right which is you know but like you say it actually starts with that inception in itself like it makes me think of um uh characters like Darren Brown uh, and these other people, these sort of entertainers that, you know, would start and say, well, actually, I'm a hypnotist. And actually, they're not a hypnotist. They're just very good at that form of mind manipulation through wordplay and all this other stuff of, you know, laying literally laying ideas mm-hmm. in, in people's heads. So starting the conversation with that thing of like, you know, may he rest in peace. Right. As you said, that, that sort of that, that's that's the inception there, and then they go in to sort of like fulfil that that notion. So bef- even before he goes to sleep, the thought of his father is in his mind. Like he has, they have literally placed that thought in his head before he goes to sleep. Right, we've got to make sure he is dreaming or at least thinking about his father before he goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. So that the I, I hadn't even thought that because I always think of the inception taking place in the dream, but they actually are laying groundwork before that. To, to make sure that they can fulfill that that notion because if they, they were to sort of like start the toast of like you know and here's to here's to domino's pizza then you'd probably be screwed you know sort of like the very different dreamscape yeah or you could toast and say you know i'm sure you'll continue his legacy or uh you know he was mm. a great man well that obviously sort of suggests you should follow you've got to live up to that you should follow um you know but then in the first level they, you know, on level zero, there's like, like, may he rest in peace. Well, what, what, how do you interpret that? And then in the first level, it's that uh, the idea that there's a safe that he didn't know about mm. that, you know, contains uh, an alternate will that will split up the business. And it's like, well, why would you do that? You go a level deeper and the lawyer says, Browning says, oh, yeah, that was a taunt. Uh, the idea that mm. you weren't worthy of running the company. Right. So even at that level, like they're telling him, this is a bad idea. Like now you know what this is, but it's your father making fun of you. Uh, and it's really only yeah. on the third level, which I call the James Bond level, where, um, <laughs> where you know, uh, he gets to see his dying father in a dream. And the point is his father does love him and, but wants him to be his own man. Um, and mm. then that, you know, sort of tracks up the levels until, you know, uh, and so may he rest in peace means, um, you know, the best way to honor my father is to do something as unique and build my own empire the same way he did. It's not to be a carbon copy mm. of him, which I agree with. I mean, I think it's the right decision, mm. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it is dismantling his com- the fr- um, competitor. It is, yeah, it is interesting, you know, that, that idea of like, <clears throat> again, that levels, the levels having to tell, sorry, because again, they obviously get him involved as well, don't they? So it's sort of like that first one. They have uh, Tom Hardy is becomes like a mimic. So he's obviously been mimicking the the um, the lawyers' mannerisms and patterns that sort of. So he can mimic them in the dream, and then eventually they go down a level and sort of they end up how, uh, pulling uh, Cillian Murphy's character into their sort of team. Um, so that he, they can then almost like support him as a thing. Because I mean, they trick him. Like at one point, 
then they go in and he obviously meets um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Cobb in a, in a hotel mm-hmm. uh, bar. And he's like, look, you know, you've been trained for this. I'm actually a part of your subconscious. I'm here to protect you. You know, come with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go from there, which, which I actually really love the idea of them doing that. Yeah. And I like the way he shows him as well. Look, this isn't real. This is a dream. Look, I can show you. And they start to see the different things happening. Like the weather changes, you know, some of the bits and pieces. It's really good. Um, but that's say it's, it's, a, it's a layer on layer. Like, you know, it's... Um, each one feeds into the next one. I'm mean, granted they've got to keep going down that layer and layer, but it keeps feeding into, doesn't it? This mm-hmm. this notion of like, okay, we're, as we've said, we're building on the idea. So you've got almost um, it's it's not a single moment where they go inception. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, in the waking state, we've said this. In the first state, we've done this. In that second level, we've now done this. It's almost like that reinforcement through the subconscious, the repetition of the ideas or the notions that actually builds to this thing. So when he does wake up, it's sort of solidified in his mind. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think as a, you know, as a concept, me, it's sorry. No, go on. No, no that's what I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, <laughs> sorry. I, I think for me, it's sort of <laughs> like, yeah, it's like they're slowly turning him around. Right. You know, they're getting him to mm. think there's something you don't understand about your father, you mm. know, then it's um you know um you know this uh this is breaking up the company and it, it's sort of like slowly turning you know getting him to do a 180 um uh, just by degrees uh and i quite like that although i have to say that level 3 james bond level is just by far has always been by far the most disappointing you're talking about the hotel level and how they pretend to be uh mm unconscious security that's awesome um you know the the first Mm. level with this van flying off this uh bridge is awesome Mm. that james bond level it just seems like you know okay i get it nolan would do an awesome james bond movie and he brought that to the batman franchise (laughs) that level of realism and action but um it, it really is a very disappointing level except for you know the dying father and it also undoes the whole point of having Ariadne there because she's there as a maze expert mm. and they're like, Oh, we don't have time to use that maze. Uh, let's just use that uh, ventilation duct to bypass it. Uh, you know? Okay. Yeah. Well, she's really there as a confidant to Cobb rather than for her skills. It feels so contradictory. I, I, I know what you mean. Cause as well, the other thing is it always feels um, even though it's in a dream, it feels grounded. And then, like you say, to jump from that hotel to, I, I love the idea, like you say, the James Bond thing, the attacking, the snowy fortress and that sort of thing. It feels yeah. so, so different. And if the, it does, it sort of stands out. And like you say, great action. And I, yeah, I think, you know, like you say, when Nolan does action, it looks, mm-hmm. you know, it looks spectacular. It looks excellent. But it does, it feels like, you know, um, it, it weirdly feels separate. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I sort of care. That's again, I'd say one of the, disappointments. Were the wrong word because I do really enjoy this film, but it I, I totally agree that that segment you sort of like. Oh, okay, <laughs> we just we're doing this now. Um, and great, I know I understand that's dream logic, but like you say, you've then built in this architect. You know, you've brought in this architect who has got to pull things in from different experiences, and she's sort of saying, "Yeah, I've built this mountain range and this snowy fortress and everything, and everything that's inside it." And like I say they have to bypass it. But you're a bit like, when, 
wouldn't it have been easier just to, to, to have an office building or do something else that would have just made this a little bit more, you know, a little simpler? I don't know. But... No, I agree. Um, and, and I think that, uh, it, you know, in retrospect, I often find the action sequences the most boring and disappointing parts of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. You can kind of see how like, oh, OK, level three, the the, the bottom level's got to be an action sequence because this is a hundred million dollar movie. And you're trying to get people to come in to see, you know, yeah. a, a, a French star in uh, a, a movie about dreams. Um, but I, I mean, I'd say like one of the weakest bits is when he's recruiting um, in, is it Mumbai? And, you mm. know, the, the guys are after him, you know, and, you know, they have this chase. Well, what was the, what was the point of that? I mean, I could do without that. Well, I could do without a lot of that level I, three action. I actually, uh, yeah, I, 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 there's two things actually. Um uh, uh, to, about that is that thing like you say you're right it's almost like you know someone's looking at the clock someone's reading the, someone I bet it's a producer or someone's looking at the time on this and going all right time time for a big action scene again <laughs> yeah time t- time for something special time for something special it would I mean, it would not surprise me if the original intention was something a lot less um you know crazy and, and sort of say bond bondified um <laughs> But but you know it, it it looks fine. It does feel a bit out of place, and it does feel a bit silly. But um, one of the things I do find interesting is that thing about they they do actually utilize the, the notion of dream in some of the levels. There's one bit when they've been chased in the van, and uh, Ken Watabi uh, Watanabe's been shot, mm-hmm. and you know Jay, Jason Gordon Joseph Gordon Levitt grabs a gun and is firing at someone who's sniping at them from a, a, a roof uh, over the way. And uh, Tom Hardy steps up and he's like, "You need to dream bigger." And pulls out a rocket launcher. <laughs> and I'm just like, "That's really clever. Like, that's funny." That like he's like, "We're in a dream. Why have you thought of an AK-47? I've got this. You know, I've sort of got an Arnie um, sort of reject." I that moment I really liked. Um, so that it's that sort of thing. Sometimes they have those little moments. Where I'm like, actually, that that's quite clever. That's quite interesting. But the thing about them being chased in in Mumbai. Um, again, because I thought it was a bit odd. I was like, oh, this feels a bit, like you say, um, almost like Jason Bourne. Do you know what I mean? So, okay, time for a running scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it it gets called back to, isn't it? Because at the end, when he, he's confronting uh, Mal in his uh, subconscious, she actually, and this is, because obviously this is his projection, mm-hmm. projecting back at him, saying now, well, how do you know it's reality? You know, you're this. Are you this international thief? Yeah. Uh, being chased down by, ch- being chased by by shady organisations to do these things and that sort of thing. And you're like, yeah, actually, mm-hmm. you know, why were they chasing him down in Mumbai? Is that just a part of his of his uh, subconscious or his mind making these things up? You know, to to sort of fuel the the you know the notion of him being under threat and unable to go home. Is that why? And so. That's to me one of the first moments where, you know, that leads to the the the, the stinger at the end of the film, as, as it were, where you do sort of go, was she, was she right? <laughs> yeah, I think that dialogue is brilliant. Um, it, it wasn't. It, I've got that in my notes, but it wasn't until you said it just now that it occurred to me that it's essentially the same move as Total Recall, right? Like, 
Oh, mm. really? You th- you're an international spy that's on Mars being chased by people and all of yeah. humanity <laughs> depends on you. You know, you're sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's essentially the same argument. Uh, you're being chased by an anonymous corporation that's very sort of projection like. Um, so, I mean, to get to the sort of uh, famous ending, famously ambiguous ending, um, at the end he you know is back with his family you know you see him going through mm-hmm. um customs and he goes back with his family and you see him his father takes him home and you see him reunited with his kids um but before the kids come he spins the top just like okay i'm home i this is just a perfunctory let's make sure it's not a dream and then he sees those kids and he's so distracted by those kids that he goes mm-hmm. over to them and just instantly forgets about the top. And famously, the movie ends with a close-up on the top that seems to start to wobble, question mark, and then you just cut, right? You don't... Now, if it falls, then he's in reality. If it doesn't, then somehow this is still a dream, and maybe... Was it always a dream? I mean, if you believe Maul, or maybe um, rather than really being able to just magically wipe the slate clean with the U.S. government in 20 minutes, right? Like, I just have to call yeah. the right people. No, I was I was going to put you in a dream where you believe that. What do you think about that ending? It's one of those that the last sort of, the whole sort of third act of the film gets called into, well, the whole film gets called into question, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. the whole film is set up um, when... Um, Ken uh, Watanabe's character says to them, sort of, like, "I've got a job for you, and in, in, you know, put a team together to do this thing." And so you're sort of thinking, okay, so if you know you have followed through, and if it, it's one of those weird, horrible things of sort of like, almost like you know Dallas Dynasty kind of uh, level things of you woke up and it was all a dream, um, but if this whole thing is just a dream, if <laughs> It's you know it's a it's a nice controversial ending, but it feels like a cheat, mm-hmm. in in a way to me. I'm sort of like, okay, so um, he's done all this, and he's obviously with his kids, but so is he? Because obviously time moves differently. So you see that moment where um, obviously Mole she jumps, and um, you know that's the tragedy at the heart of, of of his guilt and sort of thing. But there's a moment before that when you see they come out of the subconscious. And they're both lying on the floor in a sort of like a mattress, you know, in a, a, a shabby looking room or whatever. Um, and so you sort of, you know, you're thinking, did, did that still happen? But he never came out through the layers. Right. Is that, is that, so is, is he still there? And it's sort of like, because it's never placed in context. I know that's the point or thing. It still feels like a bit of a cheat. Like, but then also I'm like, okay, so has he orchestrated all of this to, you know, give himself some sort of meaning, you know, uh, objective, something like that. But even then, I'm like, okay, well, I, uh, he's but he's still calling it himself into question. I don't understand. It's sort of like you know, it feels so convoluted for it to still be a dream. Yeah, I agree. That you know, I I I, I don't see the purpose of it. Um, well, because the other thing is, it feels like if it is still a dream, he's he doesn't want to wake up, but he clearly wants to get back to his kids. So it's right, unless the, mm. uh, the unless, unless the corporate guy who you know Sato Saito who wants to 
um, you know, who has to make this call somehow has put him in. But I agree, you know, you have to do a lot of kind of legwork to figure out how it mm. would still be a dream, unless it's been a dream all along, in which case, like, who cares? Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make sense that it would be a dream. And Nolan has said he prefers it to not be a dream. And, and other people have said, mm. like, he uh, wears his wedding ring in dreams, but he's not wearing it in reality, and this is reality. Um, I think that the point is sort of that it is more interesting having this ambiguity. And if you're doing mm. a movie about dreams, you know, yeah, you never totally know. Uh, in fact, that's basically said several times um, in, in moments that are, are pretty evocative for me. But I think that, you know, for, you know, Nolan has said, I'm a parent. And as a parent, I really want that to be true, that he sees those kids mm. again. Um, and I think that for me, what works about that that top at the end isn't the cerebral exercise. It's that he's with his kids and he's able to see their face again. It's been so long he can't remember their mm. faces, which is painfully beautiful and true to me. And you see him reunited and you, I feel how much that means to him. And the camera just pans over to that spinning top. Yeah. And as it does that, I have this moment of sheer horror. You know, it's like, oh, here's that happy yeah. ending. And then it's the sort of like, you know, the idea that this could be ripped away from him by it being fake without mm. him knowing is sort of horrific to me in that moment. But that winds up being more emotionally significant to me than the sort of abstract puzzle of, haha, is it a dream? Two, two, th yeah. Two, I mean, two things to sort of to, to to add to that really is one of the th one of the things that sort of I I questioned. And I I, had to, I tried to double check, and I, I may have missed it. Was um, the kids themselves? So you know, it's shown that they obviously he's mm -hmm. not been able to go back to the states or to, to see them. Mm -hmm. So you see them as representations throughout the film, and it's always that last moment when he's had to make a decision to go on the run, and it's just them to. Um, from the back, and they're very young, and they and they go off. You know, they run off into the garden. So, as you say, you can take it as this is reality, and he's returned home, and he's able to live his life. The one thing that sort of I sort of struggle with, not struggle with, but I think is worth noting is when you have adult actors like Leo DiCaprio, sort of, you know, that sort of thing. You can cover a period of time, and you haven't got to worry that they look different. Mm -hmm. OK, mm -hmm. so you could say, sort of, you know, Leo DiCaprio, you know, yeah, it's been five years or even a year or 18 months or whatever since the death of Moll. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he seems relatively like it's subconsciously like he's obviously that he's it's playing on him and he's really guilt ridden and, and everything. And he's been in but there not... a lot of times where Moll's appeared. Right. I mean, he's used to this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he's he's had to face up to it, and it's obviously tearing him apart psychologically. But on the outside, if you take that it is reality, like he's not grieving, like he's not, yeah, you know, holding back tears. He's dealt with it. He's or he's dealing with it to an extent. But those kids, and this is because they use the same actors. Mm -hmm. Those kids are the same age. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. So, and so to me, that was the thing I thought was like, okay. If this is a dream, well, that's of course what he would see because he he will not have seen them grow up. He's only ever spoke to them over the phone, right? You know, he speaks to them. He speaks to um, 
whoever who you know the nanny or whoever doesn't want to speak to him early on in the film, but he hasn't seen them, so he wouldn't be able to say. And kids at that age do change, mm-hmm. you know, quite dramatically, sort of as they grow. Um, so you, he would, you, you know, he would walk in. They'd be like, oh, got older, you know, they're slightly older, but it's been two, a year, two years, or whatever. But they're not; they're still the same age as when he left. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like him in being inserted into the same moment, you know. So that to me added to this notion of being a dream because it's sort of like, where can I pick up from? I can pick up from that moment. Um. So that that was that that was one thing that suggested to me that you know possibly could be a dream, um, but then the counter was of, was was similar sort of was again it was just that, that knowledge of if that is the case um, and it is it, you know if it is a still dream like you say here, there's all that legwork that you've got to do to make it work, um, and so sort of like it actually does seem to work better. The, the the logic mm-hmm. that has been put in place by Nolan throughout the film, that, as you said, like the ground rule, the ground rules, work better if it's reality at the end of the film. Yes, you sort of have you have to stretch those ground rules even further to fit it in to be a dream at the end. Right now, I know that's you know, so that was the problem I had. I was like, oh, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do that to make it work. So. Well, I can, you know, the... to add to your argument that it might in fact be a dream at the end, although I don't, I agree that it's hard to get that to work. You're absolutely right about the kids. He, we also don't see their faces. He just goes off mm-hmm. and you see from behind, presumably he sees their faces, but we don't. So it's not like, oh, this is reality. They're taller now. Mm-hmm. And One's at a growth yeah. spurt, and now I see their beautiful faces again. Well, we're not really sure. And then also, where's that nanny? That nanny is like, yeah, yeah I, you know, I'm gonna not let you talk to your kids for too long. You know, you're a deadbeat dad. You're a murderer uh, of their mom. Yeah. Uh, where's that nanny go? Mm. I don't know. I mean, there is some evidence, but as you say, you can't really get it to work that well as it's if it's a dream. It it feels a little bit like the Deckard argument again with <clears throat> with with Blade Runner. You know, you can make it work both ways, but sometimes you have to stretch things to go one way rather than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quite like that because that's sort of the point of these films is to have those debates. But again, like I said, for me, um, I find it more emotionally satisfying. Maybe it's because I'm a bit of a sap, but I find it more emotionally satisfying that no, this is reality and he's actually got an opportunity to redeem himself. That's because that's sort of the point of the film. So, yeah, I do too. Um, I, I, I definitely works emotionally. On the other hand, there are these times where given the fact that the plot, certainly the plot that I care the most about is him letting go of Maul, you know, the love of his mm-hmm. life. Uh, you know, he says, uh, we did get a life together. Uh, and I've mm. got to let you go. I've got to move on. Uh, the pain of moving on, uh, including from somebody who is undoubtedly the love of your life, is very real and, and very painful. On the other hand, there are moments where you think, yeah, why can't you stay here? Um, you know, if you could imagine those kids and live with Maul, you know, down in limbo and get another 50 years, why not? 
Um, you know, mm. maybe you'll miss your kids for another, you know, year or, you know, two months or whatever really passes in the, in the real world, but, you know, take another 50 years and yeah, you know, you'll know mall's not real. You'll know those kids aren't real. Maybe that'll haunt you, but there, there are moments, are there not where you sort of think, yeah, I'm not sure that something being a fantasy here necessarily makes it less real. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, with it being a fantasy, the other thing is from a narrative point of view, you know, that that, that idea, because I, I, I agree with that scene at the end, it, you know, when he's talking to Moll and saying sort of like, you say, I've, I've got to let you go, I've got to move on. I'm going to move back up from my subconscious and go up the levels and stuff. You know, we've said we've had to bend the rules to make this work for it to be a dream. What It's, it's one of those things that sort of from a... If if this is all his dream and he's gone down those different levels, um, those previous levels, like you, you go back to them, right. and other characters have have what I would consider to be independent um, mm-hmm. actions. So Cobb's going down; he's he's obviously subco- you know unconscious at different levels of consciousness or whatever. Right. But then you've got one scene where Joseph Gordon Levitt, completely aside from from Cobb. He's having an awesome fight scene in a rotating corridor. Right, right. So you know, if that's still in Cobb's dream, like you know, he's he's is he is he aware of that? Is that <laughs> well, that's one you of know, the, that's and that's that that's one of the problems with the uh, haha, it was all a dream sort of endings. You're like you know, yeah. like a, a you know, um, you know, TV shows and and whatnot. You think, oh yeah, well, clearly. You're not the dreamer. I mean, like you clearly are not mm. imagining a million people having different adventures and stories. So you're right. I mean, any version in which, yeah, I mean, in which this is a dream at the end probably can't be a version where all along it was a dream. And that kind of negates, mm. you know, Maul's point about you're being pursued by you know, an anonymous corporation, yada, yada, yada. It still could be a dream at the end, but it would probably be more like Saito on the plane saying, you know, I mean, but then again, you'd say, how does, does he just keep everybody in an extra level of dream? I mean, how does that work? Yeah. So the level of complexity and, and, you know, to do it feels a bit, it's a nice tack on, but it feels like you know for say for all those people that sort of like as you say jump at it and go ha ha, it, it goes back to that level of sort of like having to keep reinforcing it of going okay well, if if that's really what Nolan wanted to prove, he would have been placing things throughout the you know right. the film that would have actually like the whole film could have been told from Cobb's perspective. In that case, you could have quite, you know you'd have been a bit more like well yeah you've never seen anybody else's perspective only his. Um. So, yeah, interesting. But I, 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 I think I stand by the fact that it's not a dream. Yeah, it's it's reality at the end. I think that's more likely. Ultimately, I, I think it's still the right ending. Um, it's an interesting mm. ending. I think it's a it's a brilliant ending. You know, emotionally to sort of just pan over from those kids and leave this doubt. Um, I think it's best probably not to get too distracted by that ending and think that that's the point of the movie. Like the point of Blade Runner is, you know, is he a replicant or isn't he? Uh, You know, if that's your takeaway, you probably missed what's really going on. Right. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's an interesting bit, but it's, it's not the heart of the movie. Um, 
Yeah, I do want to I do want to mention another case uh, where I if I didn't incept somebody, I certainly uh, emotionally connected with this story. Um, my uh, longest relationship was with a girl uh, for about seven years, um, you know, as long as most marriages. And, you know, I, I loved her very much. Um, and she was, you know, sort of, she admired me and, you know, uh, she was working at Starbucks when we got together and she had the opportunity, you know, sort of a couple of years later to take a job at a, at a company. And I could tell she was scared of doing it. I could tell that she was concerned that she wouldn't be able to do it that, you know, it involved too much sort of math and, you know, she had sort of breezed through her courses and, you know, she was socially concerned that uh, she would have social anxiety and she wasn't ready to come in like as a manager of this stuff. And she was leaning to not do it. Um, But she talked to me about it and I knew that she would listen to me. Um, and I knew that she would grow in that job. I knew that it would be a challenge for her, but it was a safe environment and she would grow. But I could also see in that moment, as she asked for my advice, that this would forever change our relationship, that she would grow, Mm -hmm. but she would also be making more money. She would grow as a person. She would have sort of more power in that relationship. She would have different experiences being a manager And as our relationship got older, you know, some of my charms would wear off and, and I could project this forward and see, yeah, it'll take a while, but you know, this is probably the end of the relationship. If I advise her to do this, it's in my benefit to have her stay at Starbucks. Right. But that's not what's Mm. good for her. And I said, yeah, you should take the job. And she took the job and, you know, pretty much exactly what happened, what I knew was going to happen, happened. Mm. Um, and so there I made a conscious choice and I knew in that moment what I was doing. It wasn't inception. I mean, I was asked for advice, but I knew um, this is not in my interest. Um, mm. And uh, that doesn't mean that when we broke up, I didn't feel devastated. I didn't, you know, feel torn apart. I absolutely did. Um, so, I mean, the idea of sort of being responsible for what you say and, and how you steer people's lives, whether in relationships or as a teacher, um, and the way your words sort of impact people, especially children, is a, a topic that, you know, gets me for some reason. It's not just a intellectual little exercise in the puzzle box movie. No, I, you know, I, I totally, I understand that completely. I mean, you know, it's one of those that, um, an, another lesson that I have learned in my life is that when you are in certain positions, um, you know, I'm loath to say uh, positions of power, but when you are in a certain position, uh, people will look to you for advice and you do, you do have, you know, that person's or potentially have that person's life in your hands in what you say. Um, and you can take that moment and go, what would benefit me? You know, right. do that. Do I, for, for, for you, like, you know, do, do I want them to take this job or 
do I want them to do that activity or, you know, do I want them to do this? Do them do want to do that? And you can say, and I suppose that's where it comes into that morality of the responsibility you have of, even from, you know, as we've said about inception that we, you know, you can do dropping ideas in, into uh, impressionable minds and stuff. is like, you have a responsibility to, to, you know, and from a moral standpoint, to do the right thing. If you can, if you if you ha- can do that, like you say, um, it, even as simple as if someone was to come to you and, for, for example, say, I'm going to go for this interview, and you say, Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's just three words. Are you sure? All of a sudden, the doubt in that person's mind just. Um, and I've said this before that, that texting, and this is it's funny because I said this to someone recently about I always say you can say pretty much anything you want as long as you're saying it in the right tone, yeah. And that's why emails and texts are very dangerous because someone asks you a question, you go, Oh, yeah, fine, and that to you is, Yeah, that's fine, great, go for it. But in the text, if you just write fine, <laughs> oh, it's a one word, it's a one word answer, it's interpreted in different ways, it's do you know what I mean, right. Um, they're reading this saying, so I'm always, what the hell does this mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've, I've had it where people, I've literally like had friends sort of like show me their phone and like, what do they mean? <laughs> right. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it's, um, it is, it is interesting to say that you, you can quite easily shift somebody else's life with just that drop of information. Uh, the other one I, I find interesting, this, this happened, I saw this done recently, was, uh, a sort of senior manager sort of saying to someone, um, I see a lot of you in me. And it was that sort of thing of sort of, he meant it in a, in a sort of like, you know, almost like a complimentary way. It was say like, I see a lot of me in you that you can go far. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what he meant. That was his intention. Right. But because of the context of, of, and the tone in which he said it, it didn't come across in that way. It almost came. It almost came across threatening, and I had to say to him, "He was like, yeah, I see a lot of. I see, what do you say? I see a lot of you in. Um, I see a lot of me in you.'" Um, and and he said, "It followed with, and I made it to this point eventually, which was supposed to be, I see, you know, you can do this too." But what it came across with was like, "I was like you, but I struggled to get where I was, uh-huh. and you probably won't." And that's how it got. And that's how it got taken. Right. Um, <laughs> And I, I actually said to this guy, I said, I think, I think you're going to have to go back and have that conversation again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, go and speak. Because, again, like you say, ideas, it can just be that one. That inception can be you just planting that little thought and then say, as it grows, it can grow in a number of different ways, depending on how you have conveyed that simple piece of information. Yeah, amen. And, and it occurs to me how much, certainly of my life, and I, and I think of everybody's life, comes down to uh, arbitrary things, coincidences, things that are outside of our control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the difference between going to one school or another, um, you know, the difference in, you know, you meet, I met people on a beach who uh, changed my life, you know, and who were really mm-hmm. there for me when I was suffering. And I don't know what would have happened to me otherwise. Um but I think also, especially in love and especially in relationships, especially, I mean, it's probably true in, you know, going for that interview. But, you know, so often 
relationships, trying to do something that's new involves a kind of courage, right? It involves, uh, you know, you're waiting for a train. Um, I mm. don't know where this is going to take me. Every decision like this could change our lives. But, you know, you sort of second guess it, right? You sort of say like, well, would I really mm-hmm. like that job anyway? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I like that person, but, you know... I can see things being bad down the line. You know, they've got this issue and, Mm. and, um, you know, they're probably not going to like X, Y, and Z about me. And, you know, on the surface, there are great things, but there are these things that might be a problem. Do I risk this? Um, Do I put myself up for rejection ultimately at these interviews Mm. or or with people? Um, and it's amazing how much in those moments we do ask other people and we do second guess ourselves. And those are kind of crux points at which our whole lives could be different. Hmm. Yeah. As you say, amen. I totally agree. There's so much, you know, lives can do, uh, go in totally different directions. Uh, and I'm sure we'll cover a film at some point with multiple realities in. So <laughs> we'll, we'll come to that at some point. As 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 a, as a sort of a final point, then let's sort of uh, put a bit of a button right there. So mm-hmm. you know we've talked about Inception, and as a movie, then sort of like your final thoughts on Inception as a movie. And for anyone that hasn't seen it, if they're watching it, we've we pretty much <laughs> dismantled it and put it back together again. So. Uh, but do you recommend this film? What and what are your final thoughts on the film? Oh, absolutely! I adore it. I adore Chris Nolan. Um, I can't imagine anyone not seeing this film, right? Um, mm. it, it, it's kind of a staple. It's people expect you to know it now, right? I mean, it it, it was literally referenced on Rick and Morty. You know, they just expect mm. you to know it. Um, and uh, no, I think it's a good movie. I think. I think. If you follow my path, right, you come for the fireworks, you come for the yeah. awesome zero gravity action sequences, you know, um, and you stay for the emotion and you stay for the the heart. Um, and and it's got a lot of heart and it stands out in that way for me. I don't know that it's my favorite Nolan film, but um, it certainly has a special place for me. Uh, I can't see it without crying. So what more do you want? What about you? <laughs> It's the same. I think, you know, um, when I came in, um, you know, I, said, I wouldn't say the polish is gone off it. I, I just think it's one of those films that um, I still think people hold up, as I say, this, this masterpiece in many ways, but they don't, they, they see it for the complexity of the plot, as you say. And it's fun. It is a great roller coaster ride. And, and, and um, I, I do enjoy Nolan films. I'm looking forward to the film he's coming out there this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, hopefully we'll, we will talk about that at some point. He has some great takes on things to, to sort of you know to, to digest and stuff, and he he's able to attract fantastic cast. Again, this is one of those films that I think you know, um, it, it's 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 a it's a it's an action adventure kind of film, big you know bombasting. But as you say, it's character driven, and if you had a, some different actors in this, then it it could fall apart. It could mm-hmm. be a very different film. And so I think you know Leonardo DiCaprio really does you know, should get praise for, for his part in this film. And, and um, you know, many other casts. I really enjoyed Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think Ellen Page is very good. Um, I can enjoy this film. I, I just don't think it's a film I can revisit 
often. I think every couple of years, I might, or you know, three, four years, I might go back and watch it. It's really worth seeing. It's definitely something you should have as a as a to watch, or you know, it's a sort of a staple film. Um, I agree with what you're saying about the heart, and I, you know, I, I do like getting into that. Um, but again, I feel that sometimes it's sort of there are moments that are overstuffed, mm-hmm. um, and it probably could have been edited back a little. But um, no, it's it is it's a fantastic film. It is a high recommend, um, especially for anyone that hasn't seen it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those that I think I was for the first time I saw it, much like you said, because there were so many franchises and there were so many sequels, it stu- it stood out as something new and fresh and very very interesting. And I think going back to it, it sort of it's still very very good. Um, and I think I will watch it, but I don't think it stands up as a sort of as a to me, it's not sort of a masterpiece. I think as some others have described. I, I still stand by that. I think what you're suggesting is that, uh, much like Starship Troopers uh, or RoboCop, uh, people <laughs> like this for the wrong reasons. You know, they like it for mm. the puzzle box. You know, brilliance. And as we've talked about, yeah, you know, the whole setup is preposterous, and uh, even <laughs> within that, there are a bunch of problems. Um, but, uh, you know, oddly enough, I agree with you that I am haunted by aspects of this movie. I could be just hanging out with somebody and just hear the brilliant score, you know, just that sort of like bass rumble that he started with, you know, with Dark Knight um, mm. that now is copied by everything. And I hear that bass rumble and I think about Limbo and that city falling into the ocean and malls down there waiting for me. And I feel chills but i don't want to see the movie again yeah. and i agree i don't want to see it more <laughs> yeah. than like once every couple of years which is weird it's definitely one of those films yeah because i think they say because it's one of those that you could watch again because you talk about the subconscious that thing that sort of you know the, the collapsing city there's a moment in that um in fact there are two shots i think it's fantastic where you see it and you see the city in the background and you realize that all of a sudden although it's been built over years and years and years like 50 years of building it's all done in rows and it's sort of repeated. So there's this sort of like sky, there's a skyline, but it's been repeated again and again and again and again. And how sort of fake all that bit is. And I think, and just again, it's details like that, that when you go back and see, you go, oh, that's really good. I like that, you know, that moment. Um, so it is worth revisiting. But like you say, it has an impact, but it, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's not probably not in the way that I think some people still talk about it. People are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> not not our listeners though. Not our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It is. Yeah. We're we're, we're educating. We're, we're uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that's one of the things I'm taking from a lot of the films that we're watching is exactly that is that you know when you really dig into these films um, that there's so much more there that. Um, you know that, that really you know you you want to pull out and say to people like yeah it looks great but you know this isn't just a michael bay film like you know there's more to it than that um and uh, i mean i'm going to be covering indiana jones in, in on 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 you know uh, my other podcast 20th century geek soon and I, I was listening to something recently it was a person talking about raids of the lost ark and they threw out and i'm not going to spoil it now because it's an idea that that they threw out that just sort of you know you said about Inception they threw out this just this it was an off the cuff remark that they made on this podcast that 
has settled in my brain and grown <laughs> into this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and watching the film and saying, does this, does this idea in my head play out as I think it does? Um, and so, yeah, so it's that thing of now going back and digging to that next layer, uh, that next layer of dream, going down that next level and finding actually what's there. That's that's what's interesting to me now in these films. Well, one thing that um, I know, not to belabor the point, but one thing that you just said that you know means a lot to me personally is sort of reappraising these films, uh, not that people get them wrong, but kind of reappraising them in a different context, right? So like, you know, when we did uh, Star Wars, I mean, we both like Star Wars. It's in our DNA, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's not, uh, you know, the uh, Met or the Philharmonic or, you know, the the, the artsy <laughs> masterpiece. It is an awesome kids movie that is visual and, and wonderful and has so much influence. But, you know, don't confuse it for Citizen Kane, right? It's not trying to be that. Mm-hmm. Inception is... a a smart movie, a puzzle box movie, but it's a Hollywood version of a puzzle box movie, but it has all of these visuals Mm -hmm. and all of this emotional content that people miss because they have this false idea of what it's got to be. And we can appreciate these movies without forcing them to be, you know, so brilliant. I mean, I can love this movie while also saying, yeah, if you look at this as a puzzle box movie, it falls apart pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, it's kind of stupid. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, we, we might even have to do like a, a season uh, wrap up, like a little mini season wrap up and go back onto some of these films. Cause this, these are the sort of the, the threads, I think that this first season, um, come to mind and I think that might be worth actually having a bit of a think about that looking back at the, the when we've done our first 10 films we'll do like a mini-sode and have a look at what we th- those themes and those things that have come out really and spoken to us that'd be quite cool sounds good I'm game so there you go. Uh, speaking there you of go, the there you go, listeners. of the first season next season next uh, time is Looper which is the 10th out of 10 it is that's our yeah our, our grand finale and uh, another um you know, say Hollywood, uh, uh, Hollywood sort of blockbuster. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt again, Bruce Willis, uh, and time travel. And talking about a film that, uh, if you scratch away at the surface, starts to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to accept that. Yeah. But yeah, we will talk about Looper uh, uh, on the next episode. Uh, so there you go, listeners. Before we get to that, go off and watch Looper. It's on uh, both Netflix and uh, Amazon. Uh, Prime, and I'm sure many people have got it on Blu-ray and DVD, but yeah, go check that out before we talk about it on the next episode. And follow us at, at Pod Time Space on Twitter. We love the That's it. Yeah, check us out. participation. Yeah, come find us and have a chat with us and let us know your thoughts on uh, any of the films uh, that we've been talking about. Make suggestions uh, about things as well. But Julian, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about... Uh, Uh, this film about Inception, and I look forward to our next conversation. And you as well, Scott. Thanks, listeners. We'll speak again soon.